and time is now 2.35. Let's turn to the final part of today's 123 show. And you know it, every Monday, every Monday afternoon, we've got something to do with the environment and sustainability. And this week is no exception. And we turn to Trash Talk. This week on Trash Talk, Helga Vandenort is back to talk with Marcy Trent Long to share on the latest report for Eat Without Waste, where they look at the issue of takeout food and its resulting packaging waste here in Hong Kong. Hey, Trash Talk listeners. If you can't tell, your host has a little bit of a cold, so I'm going to do my best to get through this. And luckily today, we have Helga Van Turnot joining us, who is going to explain why Hong Kong is drowning in packaging waste from takeout meals and drinks, according to some new research released by ADM Capital Foundation. The research documented in the report, Eat Without Waste, Hong Kong's Takeout Packaging Challenge, estimates 3.9 billion single-use takeout items were used and discarded in 2019. That was even before Hong Kong's takeout habits further intensified with the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. So Helga, the author of the report, is here to explain some of the report's findings. Thanks for joining us, Helga. Thank you so much for having me again, Marcy. Again, exactly. I think this is your third or fourth trip. So It is. And there's lots of interesting things to talk about. So uh, There's always things to talk about waste. Lots of trash talk here in Hong Kong. So on the heels of your Drink Without Waste report, you now come out, well, you and a collaboration, a new report with Eat Without Waste. Maybe you can give us some background. Yeah, sure. We have a very strong food culture, and a lot of that uh, food is consumed through uh, uh, meals that are not consumed in a restaurant per se, and even if they do, we also have a lot of uh, single use uh, there, actually. Um, but a lot of it is taken away back to the office, back to the home, um, and increasingly so uh, delivered to the home. And so the foundation thought about a year ago, actually exactly a year ago, that if we were able to put together a piece of research that one, quantifies the size of the of the problem, and two, critically looks at uh, some of the solutions that have been tried here in Hong Kong, but also around the world and see what's most applicable for Hong Kong how can, and how we can scale that um, or replicate it, um, that we could actually adv- you know, advance the, the discussion for sure, but also uh, come to some real uh, solutions. Oh, that's great. And so you even, you mentioned Hong Kong's food culture, obviously. It's one of the greatest in the world, really. Um, but the report actually blames the convenience-oriented society and small space challenges on the high amount of packaging waste from takeout meals and drinks. How did how did that change with COVID? Yeah, what uh, what other researchers have found is that uh, during COVID, the uh, takeout patterns have even further ident- uh, ident- intensified. And of course, what you see is that when restaurants closed down or got really extreme restrictions, then uh, it was necessary to eat these meals for sure outside of uh, the restaurant themselves. Um, but two things happened. One, um, people that took up a habit during these uh, very strong restrictions kept with it. And secondly, um, the uh, a lot of, of, of families and, and individuals that had never tried home delivery 
did so during COVID because they just didn't want to come out at all anymore. Um, and now have, you know, it's unlikely, and this is also what market research companies are saying, it's unlikely that they're going to go back completely to um, to, to pre-COVID uh, habits of, of dining out at a restaurant. Um, this is true around the world, but it's um, especially also true here in Hong Kong, which already had a very strong love for uh, takeout uh, packaging in comparison to even our, our Southeast Asian uh, peers. Well, not, for really... Sorry, not for takeout packaging, for takeout meals. Yeah, yeah exactly. For ta- yeah. yeah, but yeah. that's super disappointing. Okay, well, let's think about um, some solutions. So you looked at a number of potential solutions based on circular economy principles, which is your background, and um, recycling, bring your own, composting, and loaned reuse systems. So which ones came out on top and why? A million dollar question, but um, we we couldn't say that a single one came out on top, um, but they all uh, came out interestingly and uh, along different dimensions. So just to be clear from a, from a research perspective, our objective function, what we were trying to solve against, what we could have, you know, done a lot of different uh, takes on this, but we uh, chose to solve against uh, single-use food service packaging going to the landfill. So how can we keep these things out of the landfill? Obviously, one way of doing that is to make sure that they don't get landfilled, but rather get recovered and, and recycled, or, or in one way or another, we, we do something useful with them instead of throwing them in the landfill. The other dimension that we could work around is, can we actually um, not use these single-use containers in the first place? So that's also what you what you then see along these um, these four solutions. Recycling and, and composting are solutions that help us by recovering the materials. Uh, one as a material, the other one as a as a as a compost. Um, whereas bring your own and a centralized reuse system or the, the loaned uh, reusables uh, help us by actually avoiding it. As a society, it's great if we can go, get to avoidance altogether. But there, the second dimension comes in. As Hong Kong society, we're simply not ready yet for um, some of these solutions. So uh, composting, which is a recovery type of solution, we can't do today because we have no infrastructure in Hong Kong to actually compost or uh, alternative to composting, which is anaerobic digestion, to actually do that. So O-Park, which is a great uh, facility for dealing with organic waste, it might tolerate these containers or some level of these containers in the waste, in organic waste, so with the food waste, but it will actually spit it out if you want. It will get filtered out before it ever goes through the process. So you will not be recovering these containers. They will still end up in the landfill at the moment. We would need infrastructure to go there. Similarly, is that, um, Helga, is that true for all the materials? So even, you know, when you do go to the restaurants and it says, you know, the packaging says compostable product, that's not going to make it through Opark either. Exactly. Yeah. So you, you bring up a good point. Some of the packaging that's out there and where there are compostable claims on it, um, that, that's not always truthful. Um, there's and there's different sets of conditions. The, the report goes into some detail there. There's different sets of conditions for home composting versus commercial composting. What's clear is that none of it will actually compost um, if you put it in the landfill, nor if you if it you litter and it ends up in in the ocean. Um, but uh, compostable 
only ever refers to a characteristic of the product. It doesn't refer to the system as a whole. And uh, unfortunately, here in Hong Kong, um, even compostable containers will not get composted unless you have a, a really high-performing home composting system. But most home composting systems can't handle them. Mm. So, so we would have to make a choice as Hong Kong society, as Hong Kong government, that yes, we're going to put in place uh, infrastructure that can handle that. You could make modifications to the existing infrastructure or as we are planning OPARC 2, we could make sure that that is actually going to, to be happening. But that's a very strong if, right? So that, that's, that's a condition that would have to be met. Similarly, for the centralized reuse systems, um, for those to, to, to really scale up, you need to have more infrastructure, especially in the form of, of washing, uh, washing infrastructure, centralized washing infrastructure, um, that so far has been very hard, proven very hard for organizations to identify, to locate, to start up. Um, I mean, it's, it's space-related, of course, uh, as everything else in Hong Kong. Um, so, so while from an environmental perspective, so in addition to keeping it out of the landfill, also the greenhouse gas profile and the water usage profile the reuse, the centralized reuse system comes out on top. Uh, we looked at the applicability in Hong Kong, like how, you know, what segment of the meals does it apply to? What are the barriers to actually getting it off the ground? And so even scaled up by 2030, um, we think it has a potential of about, you know, one third of, of the market. So 33% of containers avoided going to the landfill. That's not uh, very much given the work involved in implementing it, right? Exactly. It, it, it's from where we see it or where we stand, we see that it's mostly a niche type of solution that's very powerful that we absolutely should pursue in, you know, semi-closed systems like office environments around the food court, for example, uh, event type of spaces, anything like that. Um, but that at the same time, we should also uh, double down on the more readily available solutions like bring your own uh, as well as recycling. So recycling is something that is already accessible and possible here in Hong Kong today. Yeah, And those solutions we think could bring us up to 70% reduction. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah. And, and, and there's nothing keeping us from doing it. We have to do it. Okay. The only thing keeping us from doing it is the incentive of BYO, right? So, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so that's, we we spend quite a bit of of, uh, of time in in one of our later chapters on the psychology of habit forming, uh, because you know both recycling and BYO require mostly something from the consumer, not from the food and beverage operator or or the infrastructure, and. Um, it's, it is a burden, right? It's a manageable burden though, and we can build up these habits and we can also from a food and beverage operator perspective or from a government perspective, we can facilitate it. You know, we can announce it better, we can make it more visible, we can um, create environments that are more um, suitable for habit building. Well, okay, so that's the consumer side, as you mentioned, it's, a lot of that is gonna be driven by consumer, but. I noticed that the report encourages the hospitality industry to lead by example rather than wait for policy change. Can you give us more thoughts on what you meant by that? 
Yes, well, the, the last point I mentioned and, and how can you as a hospitality industry you know, encourage your consumers, your, 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 you know, the people, the patrons of your business um, to actually um, participate in these end-of-life solutions? Um, that's, that's one thing, right? And what we noticed, we, we actually did a, some field research on, in coffee shops and um, a lot of times coffee shops that offer, um, offer on-site consumption offer also porcelain or ceramic cups for, for on-site consumption. Now, what we notice is that especially the larger chains do not systematically offer such a cup for people that are clearly going to be consuming on-site. Or even if it weren't clear, they could get in the habit of asking the question, as a lot of the smaller ones doing. Will you consume this here? If so, then I'm going to give you a porcelain cup. Um, so that's the first one. Make sure that for on-site consumption, and this is something they will be obliged to do by 2025 anyway, if the currently proposed legislation comes through. Um, for on-site consumption, make sure that ceramic or multi-use cups are available and are, the staff is instructed or has been instructed to systematically offer them. Um, the second one is to accommodate bring your own. Um, again, it's a, where we see a distinction between smaller and larger operations. The smaller ones tend to be more accommodating. And on the one hand, they're, you know, they're more cash strapped, they're more cramped very often in, in their locations, but they don't tend to have these very strong oper um, standard operating procedures. And that, I think that's one of the reasons why the larger chains have a harder time switching. Um, and especially now, I'm almost tempted to say after COVID, but after the previous restrictions to switch back to accepting these type of, of, uh, of containers, it's because their standard operating procedures have not been uh, readjusted yet. So that's, that's one thing. So on-site consumption, they could accommodate uh, much better in reusables. BYO, bring your own, they would, um, they could accommodate better. They could uh, offer financial incentives, uh, some do, but uh, research that was conducted, I think it was last year, um, what actually showed that it's less the incentive that makes a difference in consumer behavior and more whether they are being educated on it, whether it's visible in the, in the coffee shop, um, etc. So that's an interesting one. I think that doesn't need to cost more for the um, for the the outlet for the coffee shop. Um, and then, of course, for some of them, they could consider joining a centralized reuse system. Um, and uh, there's more that will become available at the moment. There's also very limited offerings for uh, for for food containers. Most of it is for coffee cups or, or beverage cups, uh, but there will be expanded offerings uh, coming up in uh, 2022. Um, and I think one last one is, so our report focused entirely on the cups and the containers themselves, but there's a lot of other more peripheral use of single use um, food service items like stirrers or cutlery uh, and so on. And we see that in many cases, restaurants uh, have been s switching or, or have been using reusables, except for these peripherals. So they could not offer them to begin with or make them really optional. Um, and then also um, actually 
uh, switch to reusables if uh, where, wherever possible. And what you see, for example, is that uh, I think it's with Food Panda, um, they now make people opt in for uh, cutlery, right? Because a lot of people that order through Food Panda are in a location where they have access to reusable um, cutlery or, or chopsticks, and they don't need it to be delivered. So now, in order to get it, you actually need to opt in, not even just opt out. That is definitely true. The opt-in, opt-out psychology is really important. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, it right, takes so- some courage from the, from the from an operator to do that, right? Because you might be upsetting your your customer base, uh, but it can be done. This this particular case proves it. Yeah, yeah exactly. All right. Well, Trash Talkers, if you have the time, please download the entire report, Eat Without Waste, Hong Kong's Takeout Packaging Challenge on ADM Capital Foundation's website. Helga, thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. You can find all the Trash Talk episodes on iTunes and the RTHK On The Go app. Thanks to our partners, Plastic Free Seas, If you like what you hear, I also host the Sustainable Asia podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube for a more in-depth look at sustainability issues here in Asia. Many thanks once again to Marcy Trent Long for this week's Trash Talk. What a trooper. Despite uh, being ill, she still uh, interviewed a great interviewer, uh, Helga Vandenort. Thank you so much for sharing about the latest report, Eat Without Waste. And I suppose with the holidays coming up, we should really be mindful about uh, takeaway food, but also uh, single-use plastics that sometimes come with the restaurants. Thank you very much once again for the great reminder, Marcy. Marcy. 